Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Conversation for Our Generation, where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator and the host of the podcast here at The Conversation for Our Generation. And today we will be talking about Plato's Republic. And this is, I think, an important one to talk about. I wanted to do it in reference a little bit to what I talked about earlier this week with the idea that we had so many good things going on in our society in the 50s, and we kind of threw away a lot of the family and the way we organize our society in favor of sort of this personal autonomy and I'm going to do what I want and this also fake culture of fake people that put on a front for social media but are often living not nearly as happy lives as they put out there that they are. And I think that it's important to understand how we're structuring our society. And I think that this is a great book that looks at both the what does it take to be a moral person and then what does it take to be a moral and just society. And it talks about both of those things. And I think that's really what we need is a good discussion about what that is. And now I don't necessarily agree with all of what Plato suggests we do in this, right? A lot of things that he offers are very uh, contrary to what I would say the Christian ethic is and what our modern ethics are as well. But there is a lot of interesting points, and I think it's definitely very insightful if you look at it as an allegory, more so than here's how we should set up our society in a perfect way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do, I want to remind you that you can find more at conversationforgeneration.com. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere, hit subscribe and leave it a good rating and review. That really helps more people find this. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe there as well. And so you get the book reviews every Friday, other clips throughout the week of interviews and other parts of the podcast that I've done as well. <clears throat> Definitely great stuff happening there. And follow on Twitter at Convergen and Facebook.com slash Conversation for Our Generation to keep up with what's going on on the Conversation for Our Generation. And so, with that, let's take a look at the quote of the week. <clears throat> and this is one from Plato. And he says, Human behavior flows from, fr- from three... Sorry, let me restart that. Human behavior flows from three main sources desire, emotion, and knowledge. And that's where this idea starts to evolve into an allegory in the, in the Republic is what happens is, is it starts off basically to give you a little bit of an insight as a discussion on morality and whether or not you can, morality is good, or if it's just useful in certain circumstances, and it's better to be immoral when it works out in your benefit, so on and so forth. That's what the discussion is. And so, using Socrates, Plato starts asking the questions and gets to this point where we start to examine the human be- human's behavior, and we discuss that it comes from three main sources. Your desires, so that's more like, I'm hungry, um, your sexual desires, the the impulses in you, those desires in you that you can control, uh, but are much more urges than like, I want to 
be with you forever. Would you marry me? Right. That's not the kind of desire that he's talking about here. These are more your impulses and your urges. Then there's emotion, which is obviously a higher level, as they would say, uh, and I would say pretty much most philosophers would argue that emotion is a higher level of thinking or of the human experience because it does relate to our subjective nature. It takes us not to just the base animal urges, but it takes us above that to this reaction to the world around us. It's our subjective experience kind of bumping up against the objective world in a way and our reaction to it that may or may not be controllable. We can control our emotions in a way, but they are also something that drives us a little bit without our knowing. It's like that, what's that, uh, that movie where I think it's like Inside Out, uh, where there's the different emotions are driving, you know, the girl around in different ways and anger heats up and makes her do stuff and whatever it is, or the boy, I don't remember if it's a boy or girl now, but it's been a long time since I half watched that movie while being on my phone because <laughs> I was not necessarily interested in it, but it wasn't terrible. could be, definitely could have been worse, but you can see how emotions drive you in that way. <clears throat> and then knowledge is the next thing, which is the highest level. That's where we start to employ our rational faculties, where we start to learn and incorporate knowledge about the world. And instead of kind of being reactive with desire, I'm reacting to hunger, right? Emotion, I'm reacting to my anger or my joy, whatever it is. I'm just excited and happy and can't contain myself. I'm angry and I can't contain myself. Whereas knowledge, or I have to contain myself even, maybe I have to focus on getting myself in, in control and react to that. Knowledge, on the other hand, is something that's more proactive. It's the place where you can begin to order things in your life the way you want them to be and learn about the world and make sort of plan, make plans and make decisions with information and use that to create better outcomes. So instead of trying to suppress or direct your urges or your emotions to something that's positive, it's really more taking in all the information and being able to do something that's positive without having to, I mean, you'll still have to manage your other urges and emotions, but knowledge helps you kind of take that more proactive step. And so that's a very high overview of, I think, how the Greeks would have looked at this idea. And, and I think that that's all fairly true. I think Thomas Aquinas, other philosophers, great philosophers throughout the last, you know, 2000 years, the ones who haven't given into sort of scientism and who recognize the human person would agree with these because you have to recognize the human person to understand these, I think. Because in scientism and in that Inside Out movie, I don't remember how it ends up fully, but if you are just being driven around by emotions and by brain chemicals and so on, then you're really not a person capable of rational choice, right? If you're just synapses going off in your brain and firing, and then you react your body and just reacts to that, then 
you aren't really making choices. You're just being driven by biological urges or biological processes, just like any other animal. And the Greeks and most philosophers throughout history understand that humans are different from the rest of the animal kingdom in a way that we have this rational nature that other animals don't have. And so that's a little bit about what Plato talks about. So to get into the book a little bit and give you a little background, Plato I think we all know his name. He's one of the best-known Greek philosophers. He was a student of Socrates and a teacher of Aristotle. And he's notable not only for his tremendous insight into philosophy, but I think his style as well is something that stands out. Instead of just explaining his ideas in a long soliloquy or, you know, here's this idea, that idea leads into this idea. And if these two ideas were, you know, he doesn't just work in long texts that flow on about what he thinks. It, he really uses this dialogue method that makes it more of a discussion, brings about, kind of has a different battle of ideas happening in his work. And it's really interesting to read. You know, for his dialogues, he uses Socrates and what we now know as the Socratic method to extract ideas from his characters. And in Plato's Republic, like I said, we'll take a look at what he thinks that ideal society should be and he does that by discussing this through his characters. And, and when I say characters, these are actual people for the most part, as far as I know. I mean, I, I think we assume that just about everyone in here is actually like a friend of Socrates and Aristotle or in their group of people in Athens who are kind of working through a lot of these problems with philosophy, with sophism, and trying to decide how to structure their society. They're, they are actual people for the most part, but for the purpose of these works, they're kind of like a character, I think. Um, I don't necessarily know how much of this is historically accurate and how much of this is sort of Plato using a discussion that they had that was probably real to then turn into, okay, I'm going to use these same people and elaborate on that and use kind of their points of view to extract out the ideas a little bit, or maybe use them as a mouthpiece, which is what he does a lot for Socrates, is for a mouthpiece for his ideas, and potentially use these other people as mouthpieces for other ideas so that they can have that conflict and that discussion. And so I think it's important to understand that and how Plato writes, because these students will sort of ask questions of Socrates and explain their ideas, and then Socrates will grill them basically the way he is known for and really try to get at the root of their argument and expose the underlying assumptions that they might have about the ideas that they're professing. And so by doing this, I think it really pulls people in. If you're not a big philosophy person, you like, you know, you'd rather read Lord of the Rings than a philosophy book, or you'd rather, maybe not even Lord of the Rings, maybe you'd just rather read any fiction than philosophy or nonfiction. I think this will engage people like that a lot more because of the way that he engages with the, the way that he engages with the characters and has them 
kind of have this actual tension and this dialogue happening. And so it's, it's much better for people like that than reading a long explanation of an idea and, and just kind of trying to follow along. Like I love Aristotle and I actually don't mind reading philosophy like that. I actually like it. I like both, but that doesn't bother me to read a long philosophical treatise or listen to uh, an audiobook that's a long philosophical treatise. That doesn't bother me. So I'm okay with doing that. But <laughs> if you're not, this is definitely a good place to look for some good philosophy. And then as far as Plato's Republic itself, <clears throat> well, what what he t looks at as the perfect society, we may not necessarily agree with in our modern times. And I think that there's some things that we could say are potentially wrong about it if it's understood to be what he literally wants society to function as. But he raises a lot of good points about human nature. And at the beginning, like I said, it, the characters are discussing immorality and morality with Socrates, and they're saying, you know, morality is good as long as it's useful for you, but once it becomes unuseful and you have to <clears throat> sort of use immoral means to get what you want, then it becomes unuseful and it's no longer good. And Socrates starts going back and forth, and there's, I don't know, a pretty good amount of the book is about morality itself. And then it dives into this idea of, okay, let's discover morality by looking at what society should look like. And so what he starts to do then is shift into using sort of Socrates as his mouthpiece. Plato starts to say, okay, we need to see if there is, if morality is always good, right? And if it's good because, you know, there's a lot of different things that, a lot of different questions that get raised there. If, morality is good because it shares in the good or is morality, you know, or is it, how is morality related to good? There's a lot of different things there. It, and it's tough to get into all of that in a quick book review, but definitely very interesting. And <clears throat> what he does is he sort of takes a society and from what I can tell, it almost seems like it's allegorical <laughs> is what he's trying to do. And he, you can see that the different parts of the society sort of correlate to parts of human nature, that there's sort of this rationality in this governing body, there's emotions, there's urges, right? There's, <clears throat> there's kind of those things reflected a little bit in the society. And he uses this macro scale, okay, if we are going to have a society, we need this, this, and this. How should that be ordered? And we go through that. Okay, now... If we have all those things, then we're going to need this. And if we have that, you know, it's kind of like the, if you give a mouse a cookie for a society, <laughs> if you have a bunch of people who are doing well, well, then you'll need a military because people are going to try to come take their stuff. Okay. If you have a military, how do you control the military? So it doesn't become tyrannical against its own people. Okay. <laughs> and so that's kind of how this story goes and his idea as it unfolds and what he does is show how each person has moral duties basically throughout this process and that it affects 
themselves, the society at large, and is always bad, basically. It always is disruptive when they go against the morality that has been kind of set up and proposed here. And at the end of it, I won't fully disclose, but this is also where you get things like the allegory of the cave is in here. Um, and so there's a lot of very, very important philosophy that if you want to understand our culture and the bedrock of our culture, I think you have to read Plato's Republic. <laughs> and so that's why I recommend it. I think it's important. And I think that gives you a good overview of what you need to be ready to, you know, understand before you dive into it. But I think you should dive in. And if you want to grab it, definitely buy it through the links in the show notes. If you're listening on, you know, wherever your podcast is, just click through the, uh, the show notes to the, to the website and you can find it there or just go to conversationartgeneration.com. If you're on YouTube, it's in the description below and check it out. <clears throat> and furthermore, Go to conversationforgeneration.com to check out more book reviews. Just type in book review. You'll find a bunch there. I've, I don't know, I've done probably over 50 at this point, I would think. Maybe not 50, maybe like 30 uh, at this point. So definitely check it out. Uh, there's lots more coming. I definitely have a lot of books that I've read that I haven't reviewed. <laughs> so I'm excited to bring more to you as well. So definitely check that out. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, just Anywhere that you're on social media, you could probably search Conversation for Our Generation and there's a profile there. Not sure how much I use it on Parlor or Minds, but I've definitely set them up in a lot of different places. But with that, thank you for listening to this episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going. I'll talk to you next time.